Please be seated. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, we've called out to you in a lot of ways today, and uh, you've heard us each time, not because we called out well, not because um, we deserve to be heard, but because you love your son, Jesus. And when we come to you in his name, you will always listen. So now we ask you in his name that you would calm our hearts so that we can hear your voice, that we can hear your voice speaking to us in the scriptures as they tell us more about your son, who he is to you, and who he is for us. Make us deep learners. Whatever age we are, whatever point of um, wrestling, sorrow, or joy our hearts might be in, teach us Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So um, today we're starting a new worship uh, sermon series. You'll see the name of it back here. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that painting in later weeks and its significance. He Dwelt Among Us is the... uh, title of this new series. We're going to be looking at the Gospels for a few weeks. Um, these, these folks are hiking up a mountain called K2. It's the second tallest mountain in the world. Um, <clears throat> sits next door to Mount Everest. What do you see when you climb to the top of the world's second highest mountain? A whole lot of other really big mountains, right? Um, something like eight of the Ten tallest mountains in the world are, are right there in that one little spot. Um, when we think about Jesus, and we think about all that he is to us, uh, we think about just the, the core of what it means to belong to the Christian community. It means saying yes to Jesus. It means saying yes to all that he is and everything that he offers. And two of the main ways we focus on that in the Christian year are these kind of mountain peaks of Everest and K2, right? They're, they're, the, they're the birth of Jesus, his coming into the world, which we think about in this season of Advent around Christmas time every year. And then the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, which we think about in the season leading up to Easter every year. But there's still a whole lot of big mountains to explore in the life of Jesus, all that he is and all that he offers. Saying yes to him means saying, saying yes to a a whole lot of things that he did and drawing near to us to take on our burdens so that we can share in his glory. Um, <clears throat> those are the kinds of mountain peaks we'll be exploring over the next several weeks. High points in the story of Jesus, but the points that may not get told quite as often. And uh, today we're going to tell a story of identity. As Jesus travels to be baptized, the first thing we'll hear as Suzanne reads our scripture text in a moment is that Jesus traveled from Galilee to the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is a 70-mile trip on foot. It's several days and nights traveling. You don't do that for just any old reason. There's something significant driving Jesus to this moment. It has to do with his identity and yours and mine. So we're going to lean into Jesus' baptism a little more today. Suzanne, will you read for us? Thank you. A reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, many of us are all too familiar with identity theft, right? You know how it works. Someone who isn't me takes my identity uh, so that they have my wealth, <laughs> and, and then their joy increases at my expense, right? They, they get something they wanted. They get some satisfaction, some delight. It, it might be a new TV. It might be just, you know, a few gallons of gas at the filling station. Uh, It might be some six-figure debt that they rack up, but identity theft works that way. Someone who isn't me takes something from me so that they can increase their own joy. Um, Today, when we read of Jesus' baptism, we're reading about something that's the same but totally opposite. Can it be both at once? It's identity gift, not identity theft. It's Jesus, someone who's not me, giving me his identity. So that, it's like Jesus is saying, I I want you to have my wealth so that you can have more joy. Um, let's, Let's lean into this story and see how that's the kind of rhythm that's happening when Jesus is baptized. We're going to learn about the need to embrace Jesus' true identity as our own and and why that's so important. So we'll start here with what it means to embrace Jesus' true identity. Let me define that word for a moment, identity. It gets used a lot in our culture and conversation, but doesn't often get defined. I'll define it this way. It's, It's the thing that makes someone who they are, right? That's just identity. What is that combination of core characteristics, a person's defining traits? Uh, To me, the easiest way to paraphrase it is this. It's the most important thing about me. My identity is the most important thing about me. It's a good shorthand for what it is. What is the identity of Jesus? What is the most important thing about him? If you were looking for a bundle of defining traits that make Jesus who he is, what would they be? And it's, it's spoken by the voice of his heavenly Father in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. You would find something similar in Luke's gospel and in Mark's. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, th- that kind of translation got into the 
the English translation tradition a long time ago. But if you and I were going to translate that word today, we wouldn't say well-pleased. We would say delighted. What is the identity of Jesus? He is the Son of God who is completely beloved by his Father. He is completely loved. This is my Son whom I love. I am delighted in him. That is the core identity of Jesus. That is his true identity. He is God's Son, and he is completely loved by his Father. Why? Well, here's the thing. Is it because he died and rose again to save those who belong to him? Jesus hasn't done that yet. The Father's not completely loving his Son because of that, because that hasn't happened yet. Right? Is it because he went out into the wilderness and uh, was tempted three times by, the, by Satan and each time courageously battled through those temptations? No, that hasn't happened yet. That's Matthew 4. That's next week's sermon. That's, that's that mountain peak. And interestingly, what happens in there, the, the first thing Satan does is say, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. So it's, it's hearing this true identity that gives Jesus strength to resist the temptation. It's not the resisting temptation that earns him the identity. Do you see how important that is to know that, that that rhythm of the gospel, that God gives us an identity as a gift. It's identity gift, not identity theft. And it's not based on what we did. That rhythm is not just something that applies to us. It applies to Jesus himself. The Father loves the Son because the Son is the Son of the Father. I love Him because my, He's my Son. I delight in Him because He is my Son. And that becomes the source of His strength in fighting temptation. We'll see more of that next week. It becomes the source of so many things that flow out of it. The humility of Jesus. Right, Verse 13. Here's John the Baptist going, wait, wait, I was just telling everybody that, that one is coming after me who's so much greater than I am that I shouldn't even stoop down and untie his sandal straps. I was telling everyone that I am baptizing people with water, but you're going to come baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would you come to be baptized by me? The humility that flows out of Jesus' sonship. I am the Son of God. I am completely loved. I am okay with people misunderstanding me. I am, I am okay if somebody runs the risk of thinking I am your disciple. I'm okay with that because I know who I am. I am the Father's Son. I have been eternally loved by the Father. You notice the rhythm of the Trinity in this passage. One of the churches that Tricia and I visited on our walks through England last summer on sabbatical uh, was a church called the Church of the Holy Trinity. And um, over the table where the Lord's Supper is celebrated in that church is a big stained glass window. And, and that window, as is common in a lot of churches, it, it, it has kind of a picture of the thing that the church is named for. So if it's the church of Mary Magdalene, you get a story of Jesus interacting with Mary Magdalene in that window. But in this Holy Trinity, what's up there is a picture of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And, and this dove descending toward Jesus. Right? Why? It's the Trinity. 
God the Son is being baptized. God the Spirit is coming down onto him. And God the Father is saying, this is my Son. I completely love him. I am delighted with him in every way. And we're a trinity, and it's been that way forever. I don't love him because of something he's about to do. I don't love him because of something he's done. I love him because he's my son. And the things he's about to do are only going to increase my delight in him, if that were possible. But I love my son because I am his father. Jesus is here to exercise faithfulness in addition to this humility he shows and being baptized by um, John the Baptist. This kind of cryptic remark he makes in verse 15. Hey, John, um, just just let's do this, okay, Uh, for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, well, that's good church language, so we shouldn't ask any more questions. No, all this language is meaningful. Jesus is saying, hey, this is the right way to fulfill everything the Father wants us to fulfill, John. And this language about fulfilling righteousness in Matthew's gospel always has to do with there's some pattern in the Old Testament scriptures that's meant to be carried out to its fullest right here, right now, through the life and ministry of Jesus. A couple of those patterns, one would be the idea of the Holy Spirit anointing God's servants. Hey, John, we need to do this because the Holy Spirit is going to come and, and demonstrate to me and to everyone else that I've got all the power I need to carry out this work of giving people a new identity. People who are right now far from the Father can become his sons and daughters completely loved because the Spirit's going to give me power to do everything needed to bring them back to him. And another pattern has to do with, okay, we don't have time to go here today, but Leviticus 16, Day of Atonement, the high priest, before he could start any of the sacrifices he needed to make to forgive the people, he had to be washed and then put on a garment. Not his normal high priestly robes, which looked very fancy and had jewels all over them, but just a plain, simple linen garment that made him look like, was even less fancy than the robes worn by regular priests. I've got to wash and then put on this robe that says I'm ready to make the sacrifices needed to forgive the people. That's one of the patterns Jesus is fulfilling when he lets John wash him in baptism. What's the garment that Jesus puts on? It's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm ready to go make all the sacrifices needed for the forgiveness of the people. Jesus is doing all those things. Why? Not to earn sonship not to merit the Father's love. He's doing all those things because his identity is already established in every one of the Gospels. Before Jesus is baptized, we've already heard that he is the Son of God. We know he's the Son of God before this moment comes. It's it's the Gospel writer's way of saying what I'm trying to say. 
right? That this is Jesus' identity and always has been from all eternity. He is the Son of God, completely loved by his Father. The Father delights in him. That is the true identity of Jesus. Um, how do we apply that? What do we do with it? I, the first thing I say is embrace that. Do, do, do you know that Jesus is more than just a fairy tale character in an ancient story? Do you know that Jesus is more than a good man who taught some good ideas that his followers have lived out very poorly and imperfectly? Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you know that the things he did weren't just okay with his Father? That <laughs> like, the Father completely delights in the Son. Do you know that there's a relationship like that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all eternity. You want to be loved? That, that love relationship you want to be part of has already existed, always. Jesus has been at the heart of it. You want to be known? That kind of knowing has been happening since eternity, and Jesus has been at the heart of it. He is the Son of God, completely loved by the Father. Now the next thing we have to learn is, um, is how we embrace that identity as our own. To know that Jesus is the Son of God, perfectly loved by his Father, is not just a fact we file away as a historical truth about someone else. We have to believe it as true, right? But, but it doesn't stop there. It, it is true for us. Embrace this identity as your own. I learned something this week I hadn't known before. Did you know that there's a such thing as black light UV tattoos? Like, like you can get a tattoo with ink that is invisible until you stick it under a special light and then you can see it. And the coolest example I saw of this was like Alice in Wonderland themed, you know, the Cheshire cat when he disappears and all you can see is his grin. So this person had his, the cat's grin tattooed in normal ink so you can always see it. And then had the rest of the cat tattooed in this uh, invisible ink, right? And, and when she sticks her arm under the special light, you can see the whole cat. Like, that's pretty cool. Baptism. Baptism is, is the Holy Spirit's way of giving you an invisible Jesus tattoo. You and Jesus have matching tattoos. If you've, if you've been baptized then you receive the same kind of identity moment that Jesus did. How do, I, how do I know that this identity as son, completely loved by the Father, isn't just something totally unique to Jesus, not meant to be shared with us? Well, the way we know that is the very ending of Matthew's gospel says, go into the nations and baptize people. Wait, that thing that Jesus did is something we're supposed to share in too? Yes. Can I become a member of the Trinity? No. Can I exist for all eternity? Past? No. <laughs> I have a beginning. 
but, but can I come into this? Jonathan Edwards called it an ocean of sweetness that exists between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I have this identity of being God's child, totally, completely loved, the Father saying, I delight in you. I'm not just okay with you. I'm not waiting for you to prove that you deserve to be my son or my daughter. But I am transferring to you all the wealth of love that I have always given to my son. Because I love him, I am delighted with you. Baptism is kind of that invisible Holy Spirit tattoo. I can't see that when I was a tiny baby in December of 1970, somebody put water on my head. I can't see that. But it happened. It's there. Baptism is that kind of moment to say Jesus is willing to invite you in and share with you this identity that should only belong to him. But he is so generous and kind that he's willing to share it. What does that mean? Well, it means a few things. It means on the one hand, if I need to know why the Father loves me, this is the answer. I am beloved because the Father loves the Son. And so in those moments of doubt, when whispers in the back of my head go, you know what, Jimmy, you've disappointed a lot of people. You haven't lived up to your billing. There were people who were expecting great things of you last week, last month, last 30 years, and you've not followed through on any of those promises. Do you think God would love someone like you? The answer is, yeah, I think you would. Why? Because, because because he is not disappointed with Jesus. And that is the reason he's not disappointed with me or you. And you can tell all those whispers to go take a hike. They're wrong. <laughs> God doesn't love us because of anything we've done. He loves us because he loves his son. How deeply does he love us? I am beloved as completely as the father loves the son. Jesus doesn't get perfect love and we get a mild sort of Sunday evening leftovers version. No. We're loved as completely as the Father loves the Son. Well, how long is it going to last? How long is He going to love you? Will His love for His Son ever run out? No. He will love you for as long as He loves His Son. Are you embracing that identity as your own? Now, this is hard. Because it means you might have to give something up. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to be loved, if it's hard for you to accept gifts, if it's hard for you to need someone else to care for you, then you're going to have to give that up. And you're going to have to let go of it and say, the closer I get to Jesus, the more loved I will become. 
by the Father. The God. <laughs> and if I don't want to be loved, I can't have anything to do with this identity of Christ. Because if I belong to him, I'm going to be loved for the same reason that the Father loves him. I'm going to be loved for just as long and just as deeply as the Father loves him. So if I don't want to be part of a story where love is the highlight and the theme, this is not my story. I can't be a Christian without being completely loved by the Father. Ah, but see, I'm a man's man and we don't deal with love. You know, we're tough. <clears throat> well, even when you do that, you're saying you want to be loved by other tough men, so I don't buy it. <laughs> Everybody wants to be loved by somebody because this is the story we were made for. And here is Jesus saying, I will draw you in so that you are loved as completely and for as long and for exactly the same reason that I am loved by my Father because I am his son. Now, we're going to have to give up every other identity. If we want to embrace this identity as our own, we're going to have to do a little more hard work because every other identity is going to let us down. It's going to fail us. It's not going to pay off the way that we want it to. Um, if you hang around in town long enough, you'll meet IDX. This is our student ministry for junior and senior high students. IDX. What does it stand for? ID stands for identity. Your ID badge, your ID card, right? Identity in Christ. I mean, that's the foundation of our church, saying yes to Jesus, and, and he gives us his identity as our own. And he doesn't just do that for adults, right? This is for everybody. So junior and high, senior high students are hearing week in, week out what it means to have an identity shaped by Jesus. That means they're hearing regularly that you're going to have to give up another identity, the identity of the leader. IDL is not the name of this ministry. What if, what if my core identity is I am a strong leader? That's going to let you down when you are called to follow someone else as a leader. When you're called to follow, but you're qualified to lead... Life is going to get hard if leader is your primary identity. And it's going to happen to you in sports. But I'm a better second baseman than he is. But I'm better at slap bunting and getting to first quickly in a softball game than she is. If you play sports for any amount of time, you're going to have to follow at some point while somebody else takes the lead. What if it's dance? It's ballet? It's drama? I should have gotten the part. I'm better than they are. At some point, every one of us will have to follow when we want to lead. And we're maybe qualified to lead. Maybe you really are better. Maybe there's some other reason. Maybe it's terribly unfair. But it's going to happen. If your core identity is leader, that situation will drive you crazy. You can't handle it. Look, it even starts when you're six years old. 
if you've got a little sister, right? And mom and dad say, feed your baby brother. And you watch your four-year-old sister just make a mess of it. <laughs> Food's everywhere. <laughs> it's just, and you're the six-year-old sister going, oh, I'm so much better at this. I could do this so much faster. She doesn't know anything about how to take care of babies. I do. I'm older. Right? So every stage of life involves, I haven't talked about work yet, have I? But this never happens in the work world, does it? You don't ever watch somebody else get promoted when you're better qualified. You don't ever have to follow the lead of someone else who's trying to run the program that you invented, right? If your core identity is, I am the strong leader, I am in charge, I deserve to be in charge, and I need everybody to know, I cannot risk someone undervaluing my rank in the system. Just do an experiment for me this week. Watch how many times that pops up in your heart. Watch how many times over the next week that's going to pop up. What if, what if my core identity isn't leader? What if my core identity is Jesus? What if I say, Jesus, the most important thing about me isn't that I'm better, that I'm older, that I'm more qualified. The most important thing about me isn't that everybody knows my rank and where I deserve to be. The most important thing about me is you. And you are the Son of God. And you are completely loved by your Father. Therefore, I am completely loved, even if I'm not in charge. And even if people misunderstand me and someone else thinks I'm a disciple of John the Baptist when actually I'm the Son of God, that would be okay. And someone else thinks everybody else came to be baptized by John because they were confessing sin and repenting. And what if someone thinks Jesus is a sinner who needs to repent? And Jesus is like, it's okay if people misunderstand. That kind of radical humility, it means our identity is not the strong leader. It becomes the servant leader. Jesus has come so close to sinners that he starts to smell like one. And he's okay with that. You see how that core identity starts to give us some freedom? All right, let's deal with one that's a little more abstract. Right? Jesus' true identity, Son of God, completely loved by the Father, embracing that as our own. Wanting to come into the Father's family because of and through the work of the Son so that we are just as beloved in that family as Jesus himself is and seeing that no other identity is going to measure up. A strong leader fails. How about this one, IDS? It's not really the name of in-town's student ministry. IDX, our identity is in Christ. What is this S sneaking in here for? Identity and self. Now, uh, this morning at 9.30, Steve Yates 
um, was talking to us about expressive individualism, and uh, that's the fancy philosophical label, but it doesn't fit on a slide, so an S is easier to put here. But expressive individualism is the reigning paradigm intellectually in the Western world right now, and it's all about finding your true self. I have a true self, and I am the only one who knows it. That's the fundamental philosophy behind so many things that are popping up in Western culture now. I have a true self, and I am the only one who knows it. Another little thought experiment. This week, notice how many times that model of self is assumed. It's not going to be argued. It's not going to be explained. It's not going to be defended. It's just assumed that every person has a true self and nobody else has access to it except for them. They're the one who has to discover it and make it known. Now, why would, why would human beings adopt that posture and identity? Well, it promises freedom, right? Freedom is a good thing. We want freedom. Freedom to be whatever you want to be. But it comes with a whole lot of pressure. If the most important thing about me, my identity, is something I have to discover and I have to convince you of, and I have to hold on to no matter what. Do you hear how much I is in there? And that's going to become really lonely. If I have a true self, and I am the only one who can know that self, then no one else can completely, truly know me. I don't think it's coincidence that while this philosophy of the true self is flourishing in our culture, isolation and loneliness are ramping up. Right? It promises freedom, but it comes at a high, high cost of loneliness. And, and let's talk a little bit about anxiety. What if I get it wrong? What if I'm the only one who can know my true self, but I don't quite get it right? the anxiety, the pressure that would come with that. And if I'm the only one who can know it, and I'm the only one who can express it, expressive individual in the world, then that puts a whole lot of pressure on me, often from very early ages. What if instead, what if instead we learn from our students here at InTown their identity is in Christ. What if in those moments when, when I'm drawn into this mindset that says, it's all on you. It's, you're the only one who can know the real you. You're the only one who can tell the rest of the world who the real you is. And no matter how hard it gets to hold on to that version of the real you, you have to courageously defend it against all comers what if the next time you feel that pressure, that loneliness, that anxiety, you take a deep breath and you say, wait a minute, Jesus, the most important thing about me is not my true self. The most important thing about me is you. 
And therefore, I've been drawn into the Father's love just as completely as you are. So I am never alone. I am always beloved. I don't have to do the hard work of discovering this identity. It is a gift you have given me. I have to do the hard work of receiving a gift. Now, for prideful people, receiving a gift can still be hard work. To open up and say, I'm going to let you tell me who I am, Jesus. And I'm going to receive that as a gift. And even when I'm not sure who I am, and I look at the depths of my own being and I can't see what is there, my identity is secure because when the Father looks at you, Jesus, he knows exactly who he's seeing. He's seeing the Son whom he loves, with whom he is completely delighted. That will never be unclear. So who I am will never be unclear to the Father because I have been brought near to him by you. I don't know how it is for you. I have a hard time thinking most days that God is a father who loves me. So I've learned to stop asking that question first. The first question is, does the Father love Jesus? I know the answer to that question. The next question is, do Jesus and I have matching tattoos? Yes. The Father loves the Son, and the Son delights to share his identity with me. And so I can do a little bit of simple math. <laughs> the Father loves me because he loves the son and he loves me just as deeply and will love me for just as long. If you have a hard time believing that anyone could ever know you, the real you, and still love you, then learn that Jesus is the son of God completely loved by the Father and that he is kind enough to extend to you the gift of sharing that identity with you and with anyone who puts their trust in him. Can we take a moment and give thanks as we get ready to shift to the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness and generosity in uh, drawing close enough to us that um, you would begin to be misunderstood. And you did it so that we could be loved. Teach us how much we crave this love and how Ultimately, it can only be found through you. We pray in your name.